Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com. So you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us. You know, music has been part of ministry since the beginning of time you know the the heavens made music and david made music and you know and music has a way of breaking through cultural barriers spiritual barriers our own mental barriers and dave combs is our guest today he's the composer of a famous song that's been played at weddings and hospitals on numerous radio stations and heard by millions of people just to relax with. That song is called Rachel's Song. You may have heard of it. Dave has released four albums of hymns. Has been trans- they've been transcribed for piano solos used in churches across America for offertories, preludes, special music, and church services. He has seven albums of, of original compositions then described as, as Christian music, even though there's no words with the music. He's also the author of the best-selling book, Touched by the Music. Oh, praise God. You Folks, help me welcome to the program, Dave Combs. Dave, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule just to sit down and chat with us for a few minutes today. I do appreciate it. Well, Pastor Bob, I have been looking forward to this since we first connected, and Amen. and it's going to be a fun comment. It's, it's Ironic as part of your introduction there, you talked about the the long history of music and religion. And I've I dug out this morning, and one of my favorite things to do is to to, to use the ability now to search the entire Bible just like that, you know, yeah, online kind amen. of thing. Yeah. And I did a quick search on harp, the word harp. Mm-hmm. And and interestingly enough, in First Samuel sixteen twenty three, it says, and it came to pass when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, I guess King Saul, that David, my namesake, took an harp and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and all was well. And the evil spirit departed from him. So Amen. music and healing goes all the way back. And yeah. would, wouldn't you know, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall and hear those songs that David played on the harp? I yeah. can just... I, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt him down. And I'm gonna say, David, what? Play some of those songs for me. I want to hear those. <laughs> amen, amen. You know, they have uh, music that, uh, like sleep music, I guess. My wife likes using it, and you know, it just it, it's just so peaceful and relaxing. And mm-hmm. I got thinking about that. You know how David would play his music at night. Mm-hmm. For Saul, so Saul could sleep, and the spirits would go in, and Saul could get his sweet sleep. And I'm thinking. So David had to stay awake all night playing music for the king. Yeah. And you know, there's no movement going on as everybody's sleeping. And right. that music had to echo throughout the entire castle. Right. You know? And yeah. it gave everybody that peaceful rest. 
Yeah. Because there's no commotion, nobody cooking and banging dishes. And <laughs> like so that 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 had to have sounded so so beautiful. Oh yeah. You know, because those buildings were made with with hard walls, so the echoing, yeah. the sound yeah. in those buildings would just bounce off the walls, and it yeah. probably sounded wonderful. Yeah. Oh. Well, me too. Me too. You, know, you were a technology starting off as a career way back when computers were like the size of rooms and stuff. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> a home computer meant they built the building around the right. computer. <laughs> you built a home for the computer, right? <laughs> hey, man. What was life like for you? have to go into the, these big rooms to and, and believe it i was there too okay i was in the military back then we okay air defense and they had computers to help out with the the air defense the radars and tracking technology and stuff we had an entire van that had a computer that had to be wound by tape right mm -hmm. and if there was a problem you had another tape that would diagnose the problem and you sit there and count the lights don't 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 Okay, this is yep. the, the problem we have to fix. You know, mm -hmm. so how was it with these huge room size computers? I mean, this was just a, 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 a size of a moving van, but I could imagine the the computers you were dealing with. Well, it, these were big mainframe computers, and and my first job was with a huge corporation, Western Electric, which was the the manufacturing arm for all of all your telephones. Anything to do with telephones was made by Western Electric back then. And so com the computer center was a room full of, like you said, these huge machines, tape drives and mm -hmm. disk drives and everything, and had to have special air conditioning. And, yep. you know, it was, yep. it was really something. But, uh, and you, I didn't have to ha I didn't have a terminal where I could do anything. I had to physically carry, and you're going to laugh, you'll probably remember these old 8080 cards. They called, they were punch cards. You, yeah. you wrote your program and they punched them on a card and read them into a machine. And they had these big card readers, and you kept your stacks and trays of your cards all, you know. And today, we here's a little thumb drive that can hold probably more storage in this than oh, that yeah. whole room had before. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a, a space nut, and, you know, from the, my earliest memory was my grandfather waking me up. And I was like two years old and set me, plopped me down in front of the black and white TV and said, watch this because you can remember this someday. And it was Alan Shepard's flight. I, I want so why am I watching a pencil? <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, now, but you do remember it. <laughs> oh, I do remember. He's, he was right. But, you know, I, I was I was reading that, you know, the uh, Apollo service module, the computers and all that stuff would fit inside one suitcase on the space shuttle and the space shuttle had like three or four of these suitcases as a backup to the backup to the backup to the backup on their, right. on their ship. And now, you know, it, like you said, it fits in a thumb drive. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's just outstanding, but uh, yeah. So I could understand because I remember working on the computers with the radar systems and stuff that there was a problem. And you couldn't figure it out from the little flashing lights. And then you had to get the magnetic tapes and let it run through and try and tell you, again, counting the lights at, at what point of the tape it was stopping and all that stuff. And then <laughs> go get the, the schematics and you're tracing all these things. 
So I can imagine the stress of having to fix these huge computers so that when you came home, yeah, you were stressed out. And that kind of leads into the introduction of how you wrote Rachel's song. Exactly. I've heard that story, but for our listeners, tell us the story of how you came to write it and then name it Rachel's song. Well, like you said, one of those busy, stress-filled days, I came home from work at Western Electric, and this was in uh, January of 1981, just to put it in, t- in context here. That was what? Well, it was in radars. <laughs> 40, that's four, 41 years ago, Forty, a little over 41 years ago. I came home, and for those of you watching the podcast, there's a piano behind me here. And my favorite thing to do to relax and is to, as, as David did playing for Saul, I play, <laughs> I play for myself hey, just, just to relax. <laughs> and that particular evening... For some reason, I sat down and I played, started playing, and I played this song. Now, it wasn't a song I'd ever heard before. It was not something I had to sheet music for or heard on the radio. I just played this song, and it was literally a song with a verse and a chorus. And I played it again, and the key of, it was in the key of C, just a real simple melody. I loved the way it sounded. And it had a great chord progression, you know, from the key of C to the A minor to a D minor, a G. It's almost like the old rock and roll sequence of, you know, (laughs) almost all the songs had the same chord progression. But this song is a little bit different, but it was beautiful. And I didn't think much about it. Of course, I enjoyed it. Well, a couple of days later, my wife, Linda, who was also working at the time at the local bank, and she came home and she said, Dave, what is the name of this song that I've got stuck in my head all day long? And she hummed a little bit of it. And I said, well, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what? Well, you play it on the piano all the time. What? It's got to have a name. I said, well, it's just something I made up. Well, Linda got all excited. She says, wow. Well, have you written it down? I said, no, I'm not going to forget it. It's permanently been (laughs) burned in my brain. And she said, oh, no, something might happen to you, and I wouldn't remember how that song went. So you better write it down. And I, so I did on a piece of paper, put the, wrote down the, the melody line and the chords, just something really simple. Put it in my piano bench. I'd play the song periodically from there on, you know, just for, for fun. Linda and I tried to come up with a good name for it. Nothing ever fit. It just, it just was, didn't have a name. Then two years later, In 1983, some friends of ours had a little baby girl named Rachel. And her parents asked Linda and me to be her godparents. And so we, of course, accepted. And and at little Rachel's christening service, which I'm sure you've been to many of those, you know how precious and tender and wonderful they are. Mm -hmm. Well, this was a, a private little christening service, just us and the family and the minister. And in this little country church, up on the front, podium was a baby grand piano right smack in the middle of it and all during the formal part of the service i kept looking at that piano and toward the end i punched linda and i said hey what do you think about me playing this song now as part of this service seems like the right perfect time she said that's a great idea let's ask the family ask the family now (laughs) don't don't just run up there and play it so i asked the family and the minister if it'd be okay if i played this song they said, sure. So I went over to the piano. I sat down. And I played this song. And as I got most of the way through it, I hear this <clears throat> clearing their throat and 
some sniffles in the crowd, and I noticed my eyes were starting to have a little teardrop here and there, and it was very emotional. It's an emotional service in the first place, and then you tack on top of it an emotional song, boy, it's going to turn on the tear ducts. So when I finished the song, even before the notes had completely stopped sounding on the piano, I looked over at little Rachel. She was in the arms of her mother. I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's Song in her honor. And that's how it got its name. And it, it was just, it was like it was just the marriage made in heaven with the song and the name, perfect. Amen. And so that, that was the beginning of a long journey that started, uh, that changed my life forever because I had no idea that this one song could mean so much to so many people, starting with me. Amen. It was just uh, an inspiration, a blessing. And uh, I just don't have enough good words to say about what that song meant to me and, and has meant to literally millions of other people. Amen. As Rachel grew up, what did she think of her song? Well, when she was a little girl, when she was, uh, you know, four, five, six years old, she would hear that her family would play the song. Um, and because I did have a recording made about it, we'll talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But when she heard the recording of Rachel's song, she would say, it's my song. <laughs> That's <laughs> my song. <laughs> so she loved it and then still does. So it's it's been a real blessing. Has she gotten married and did she play that song at her wedding? We uh, we have maintained her anonymity in this this whole process all these years to protect her from uh, any crazies out there. But her yeah. privacy has been honored. So we're not we don't talk about her where she is now or anything yeah. about her her situation. But Amen. But right. I can tell you, she has grown into a beautiful lady Amen. and woman and uh, doing Still well. loves a song. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So tell us about how you made your first recording of Rachel's song. I, I love that. I, I love to hear about this. This is great. Well, it, this was in 1983 when it got named. So I was working at AT or Western Electric, which later became AT&T in 1984. So by 1986, I was still working for then AT&T in an IT capacity. We were implementing new manufacturing software throughout every plant in the country. And my specialty was inventory control and production management, all of that. And so I, my job was to travel around to all these factories and help them implement their software. One of the factories happened to be in Nashville, Tennessee. Well, Nashville, Tennessee, as you know, Pastor Bob, that's Music City, USA, and everything there is, uh, seems to be centered around music. And so one of the, uh, my wife said, well, while you're in Nashville working all during the week, said, why don't you go in one evening and find you a studio to get a, a professional recording made of Rachel's song, you know, a demo recording. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, that's a great idea. So... One evening after work, I'm driving around downtown Nashville, and I go over to the part of town that's called now, I now know is called Music Square. It's about two square blocks over there where the Country Music Hall of Fame and the uh, ASCAP and BMI headquarters and the, the old RCA studio that you can take a tour of is there in that, that area. So I'm driving around in that Music Square, and I'm going down this one side street named Roy Acuff Place. Mm -hmm. Now, Roy Acuff, you may remember, he was a famous, much-loved person in, in Nashville, Tennessee. They named the street after him. Well, down at the end of Roy Acuff Place was this big building. had a kind of a barn-shaped roof to it. And, 
out on the, near the street was this great big water wheel that they had obviously moved from some mill someplace. I mean, it was a real big old water wheel. And on the side of the building, it said the music mill. Okay. All right. So I pulled in the parking lot, looked through the glass door. Sure enough, saw a man sitting in the lobby in there. So I knocked on the glass door and he unlocked it and opened it up. He says, hi, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? Now, it's not the same George Clinton. Everybody jumps uh, to the okay. conclusion on this. <laughs> this is George Clinton, the recording engineer in Nashville, Tennessee, who was a much loved at all his life recording engineer. And they even wrote a full page article about him after he passed away, sadly, a few years ago. But anyway, that was my introduction to George Clinton. And he's, I said, I'm looking for a studio. And he's kind of smiled. And he said, well, come on in. And I, I stepped into this lobby of this place. It was a two-story big lobby. And on the walls over on my left was a huge life-size picture of Glenn Campbell. And right in front of me was this life-size big panorama picture of the group Alabama. And over here is the Forrester sisters. And I'm looking around and there's framed gold records and platinum records and all kinds of plaques of accolades for the studio and and I thought, wow, this is really something. And I guess George saw my excitement, and he said, I told him, I said, I've never been in a studio in my life. And he said, well, you're, you're in luck. There's nobody recording right now. Let me give you the great tour of Studio A, our best <laughs> studio. All right, okay. So we go into this big recording room where all the musicians set up. And it's it's big enough you could put an orchestra in there. In fact, they probably they probably <laughs> had recorded, probably had. So and over in the back corner, there was this you know nine foot grand concert grand piano and you know, isolation glass wall rooms around the wall. And wow, this is amazing. He said, "Well, come over here." And he said, "Let me take you in the control room." And so he opens up this soundproof door. It's one of these doors that's about that thick, and you open it up, you know. So sound doesn't creep in from the the control room into the studio. And so we go in there. First thing I see is the console, the control console. About eight feet long, looked like it had, uh, and I later learned it had about 32 tracks. It, you know, it could record 32 tra different individual tracks at one time. And then around the wall were all these tape recorders, the digital recorders, analog recorders, and up on the wall by, by the glass, big glass window where you could look out into the recording room was these monitor speakers so that, you know, the sound would be just perfect. So I thought, wow, you could launch a spaceship from in here. You know, it looked like one of those things you were talking about from you could control the missile program from in here. Yeah. So, and I said, how much does a place, uh, this place rent for? He says, it's $125 an hour plus engineer. Well, this was 1986. That's a lot of money back then. Now, today's dollars, it's probably over $400 an hour if you roll it forward. That's a lot of money. A lot, a lot more than I was making for sure. So, I guess he saw how disappointed I was. And he said, well, but don't worry. He said, there's a, the guy that owns this studio owns a small studio across the street, and it's in a little old house. It has a baby grand piano, a small control room. It, it'd be perfect for what you need, and it's a it's a fifteen dollars an hour, just fifteen dollars an hour plus engineer. And I thought I can do that. That's something I can do that. I said, okay, George. Now what I need is a great musician to arrange and perform my song. 
just a simple piano piece, just a great piano player. And he thought for about a second, he didn't have to think long. He said, I know just the right person for you. His name is Gary Prim. And he said, I've known Gary forever. And we go to church together and Sunday school, you know, everything. And he's a great piano player. Absolutely. Everybody loves Gary Prim. Still does. And so uh, he said, let's go over back to my desk and I'll look up his phone number for you. So he wrote the number on a piece of paper for me and gave it to me. <clears throat> I profusely thanked him and I headed out to my car and I hightailed it to my hotel room. Because this was in 1986. Cell phones hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. The Internet hadn't been invented yet either. And so I had no choice but to give a landline call to Gary Prim. In my hotel room, call his number, got his answering machine. About 30 minutes later, phone rings and it's Gary. Hi, this is Gary Prim. Can I help you? Yes, Gary. George Clinton says that you could do a great job on a little song that I've got that I need a demo recording made. He said, I'd be glad to do that. I said, well, what do you need? He said, well, all I need is two things. I need a recording of you playing it, so I'll kind of know what it sounds like. And I need a lead sheet. And I said, okay, what's a lead sheet? <laughs> I didn't even know what a lead sheet was. I didn't know the lingo. And so he said, oh, it's just, it's just the melody and the chords written out on a piece of paper. I said, oh, well, I've got that. <clears throat> I just didn't know to call it a lead sheet. So I'll send it to you. He said, great, we'll set up a time real soon and we'll get it recorded for you. So I went back home, sent him that lead sheet and my cassette tape of me playing it on the piano. And on Friday evening, August the 22nd, 1986, at 6 p.m., it's one of those dates and times I will never forget because it changed my life forever. Yeah. I'm in this little studio across the street from the music mill. Here comes Gary carrying his synthesizer under his arm. It's a Yamaha DX7 synthesizer. I've got one just like it sitting right over here. It's a wonderful analog synthesizer. Still, I think they still use that sound, and I can, I can hear that sound in recordings even today. So Gary comes in with his Yamaha synthesizer. Meet him. He's a wonderful, instantly friendly person, just, you know, one of those people you just love immediately. Sets up his, sets his synthesizer down and then goes over to the piano and starts warming up. And I go into the control room with the engineer and pretty soon, Gary says, okay, I think I'm ready. So the engineer, he pushes the record button on the, the tape recorder machine and says, we're rolling. And <laughs> we'll start off playing. And Gary starts playing the song. Now, remember, I had never heard my song played by anybody but me. So I had no idea what to expect, whether <laughs> what it was going to sound like. Well, I was blown away by what I was hearing. Well, Gary gets most of the way through and he, he stops. He said, <clears throat> he said, I, I, I can do better than that. So rewind it back. Start all over, push record. And he plays the whole song the second time, completely through flawless, not a single mistake. I mean, it was perfect. And if he had stopped right there, I would have been as happy as they say, as happy as a pig in mud. You know, I would just <laughs> been really delighted. But Gary says, I'm not done yet. He says, I've got some other ideas for what we can do to make this song really special. He said, I think that I want to double the piano part on an electric piano sound for part of it so that, you know, it gives it a fuller sound. 
And so he sets up over there and he puts his synthesizer on piano sound and puts the headset on so he can hear the original piano part and plays along with the first part on two different tracks. And so he does that perfectly. I mean, he nailed it. Even there was no click track or you know, everything just per, you know, in a very strict rhythm. He played it with feeling, but yet every note he hit exactly. And so I was uh, totally amazed, sounding great. He says, now <clears throat> I need to add some, some, low, some bottom and some top to this. I want to put some low strings and some high strings. So two more tracks, going to record the low strings. You know, he's listening to now he's listening to the piano and electric piano and then adding the strings right that's just at the right place at the right volume. And then he does the same thing with two more tracks with the high strings. And then he says, all right, in the middle at some places through this, it needs a little more punch. He said, I'm going to use a horn sound, some horns to give that in there. And so he two more tracks with horns, do the same thing all the way through. Okay, comes back into the control room, and we all rewind it back and play all the tracks together so we can hear kind of what mixed together sounds like. We're all listening to this, and I am absolutely, I know I'm speechless. I don't know that I probably didn't say a single word because I was just blown away by what I was hearing. Got all the way through, and Gary says, that's perfect. I like it. And I said, I love it. I don't just like it. It is unbelievable. <laughs> and so... He said, well, I'm done. So I wrote him a check for the agreed upon fee and he gets his synthesizer and heads out the door. <clears throat> Had no idea if I would ever see that young man again. Now he was a young man. He was in his twenties. Here I am what, about 36 years old and he's, uh, you know, in his late twenties and, but a wonderful gifted young man, but I didn't know if I'd ever see him again or not, but it turns out that he and I would later go on in the studio to record over 170 songs wow. over 15 years. But anyway, so here he departs and I'm left in there with the engineer and he's mixing it all down, making my master tape for me. And he made me some cassette tapes that I could take home with me, paid him. I jumped in my rental car and I immediately, of course, you, it had a cassette player and I popped that cassette in there and you, you know what? I played that song, turned it up. Oh, I couldn't believe it. That was before I even left the parking lot. So push rewind, play it again. Well, I better head toward the hotel. So I get out there and get down on the interstate and head back towards my hotel near the airport. And I'm playing the song. I play and I hit rewind, play it again. And I just did it over and over and over. And, and I was after a while, I realized I'm not getting at my hotel and I think I've seen that billboard twice. I had <laughs> circled. <laughs> I'd gone around the beltway. <laughs> totally. If you've been to Nashville, you know there's I-24 and I-70 something and I-40 all converge there. And, and there's interstates that if you're not in the, in the yeah. correct lane, you are not going where you think you are. <laughs> exactly. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I finally got my, my directional senses about me and made it back to the hotel. And I was still so excited. You know, if, if you have something that is so beautiful, you know, I imagine that it's kind of like the, the person that, that first becomes a Christian and how wonderful they feel. They just, they've got to tell everybody what has happened to them. You know, you can, some of you read those stories in the Bible about the, Jesus said, now, you know, when he healed this person, now don't tell anybody about this. Yeah. I laugh when I hear that, you know, yeah. now who's not going to talk about the fact that I, I'm totally healed. <laughs> 
Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time for today's portion of this great interview with David Combs, who's the composer of one of the most famous songs used in weddings, etc. today, which was Rachel's Song. Now, we've been doing a deep dive into David's story and the story of Rachel's song, and I know you've been getting a lot of inspiration from this as well. Amen. The good news, this has just been part one of what turned out to be a great three-part interview, so be sure to come back next time for part two, and be sure to drop down on the show notes, order a copy of David's book, Touched by Music. Amen. Till next time, this is Pastor Bob reminding you, be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.